Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, and we'll pick up with verse 20 and go all the way to the end of 13, 13, 14 today as we finish this book. Whenever we come to the Lord's table, the scriptures tell us to examine ourselves. That's the instruction of 1 Corinthians 11. When it talks about the Lord's Supper, it says a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup, lest he eat and drink judgment on himself, and eat and drinking, eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. So what a wonderful coincidence that this morning as we conclude our study of the book of 2 Corinthians, and also prepare ourselves for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, we come to a passage which gives us that same exact instruction. It's found down in chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So this morning we're going to be obedient to that uh, matter. Let's listen to God's word concerning self-examination, and then we'll practice that as we come to the Lord's Supper. Well, let me read the uh, text, beginning with uh, chapter 12, verse 20. And I'll read everything down through 13.10, and I'll leave the final little benediction for the end of the service. Chapter 12, verse 20. For I am afraid that when I come I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. This will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him to serve you. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that you will do what is right, even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is for your perfection. This is why I write these things when I am absent, that when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority, the authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. And we'll stop there for now. The great theme of this whole section is this uh, is summed up in verse 13.5, examine yourself. But that uh, is not the only thing the text says, that one little phrase. This text has much to say on that subject, so let me boil it down to two truths, two reasons why we must examine ourselves, if you will. The first is this. Fleshly lusts threaten the church. Fleshly lusts threaten the church. Examine yourself because fleshly lusts 
threaten the church. If you heard this afternoon that some common food item that everyone has at home was, has been found to be poisonous, you would probably go home and look very carefully to see if you have that item on your shelf everywhere, anywhere and, 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 and uh, uh, discard it. Well, the Apostle Paul closes his, this letter to the church at Corinth by reminding the church of some deadly items which exist among us. He's going to come before long and find out for himself, and he's concerned about what he might find when he comes. So he says, you need to examine yourself and get rid of these things before I come. Namely, get rid of the fleshly lusts which threaten you. In case you don't know what fleshly lusts are, the apostle names some of them in verse 20 and 21. There are actually two little lists here. In verse 20, he talks about quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. And then in verse 21, he speaks of sexual, uh, of impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery. Now these two lists don't seem very similar at first, but they're actually part of the same thing. These are the various works of the sinful flesh. In Galatians 5, we have both of these things mentioned in the same list. And there we read, the acts of the sinful nature or the sinful flesh are obvious. And then it begins to list them. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Those are the things that were listed in verse 21. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, and the like. Those are the kind of things listed in verse 20. But they are all various works of our sinful flesh. And these fleshly lusts are a threat to us. You see, these things are the bait that the, the evil one uses to snare us and drag us away from Christ. For these things are the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, the things that the Spirit of God works in us. In that Galatians 5 passage, we have the works of the flesh in verse 19 and 20, and then we, in verse 21, 22 in there, we have the fruit of the Spirit, two contrasting things. The evil one knows that we have these fleshly desires hidden deep inside of us, and so he tempts us to indulge them. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 describes how the temptation works. Let me read a little bit of it. It says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. <clears throat> to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In other words, it's like catching fish. You dangle the bait out there. Something you know the fish likes. That he has a desire for. And the fish comes and he makes a couple of circles past it. And he eyes it and looks at it to see if it's too good to be true. And then finally, strikes. And when he does, you've got him. He's lunch. And Sid does the same thing. It baits our fleshly lust. It hangs some little temptation out there that, that stirs up our desire for sexual immorality or our desire for bitterness or hatred or dissension. 
It presents us an opportunity to indulge our lustful, hateful desires. And we toy with it a little while. We look at it. We know those things are wrong, but deep inside we have a desire for those things. And then perhaps we say, maybe just this once. And we take the bait and we are caught. We are hooked and dragged away into destructive sin from which we do not easily free ourselves. That's how the Bible describes it. 2 Timothy 2 speaks of gently instructing those who oppose us in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and they will come to their senses, and listen to this, escape from the snare of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And how does the devil snare people? By appealing to us to indulge our fleshly lusts. Oh, dear people, you can never afford to indulge your flesh. You cannot afford to do that. Not for a moment. You cannot indulge your bitterness. You cannot indulge your jealousy. You cannot indulge your anger. You cannot indulge your sexual fantasy. These fleshly lusts threaten your soul. As that verse in Galatians 5 goes on to say, I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a threat to our soul. So examine yourself. Are you playing with fire? Are you indulging your flesh? Take a hard look. We dare not. Then in verse 5, the apostle tells us another side of this. Examine yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. The words may be a little hard here, but I think the point is clear. We know that the evil one works to lure us by appealing to our flesh and dragging us into sin. But Paul is saying, but that's not how Christ works who is in you if you belong to him. That fleshly indulgence is not characteristic of those in whom Christ's spirit dwells. That's not what the Christian life looks like. Actually, it's the Apostle John who spends a lot of time on this in his first uh, letter, 1 John. He drives home this, this clear distinction. For example, 1 John 2, 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother, his fleshly lust, is still in the darkness. 1 John 3, 6, no one who lives in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. 1 John 3, 9, no one who is born of God will continue in sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. In other words, no matter how blurry it may seem sometimes, there is a clear line of distinction between those who live to indulge their, 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 their fleshly lusts and those who live out the new life in the Spirit of Christ. There's a clear distinction. Those who live in Christ do not live according to indulging their, 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 their fleshly lusts. 
That's just how it is. That's not the practice of those in whom Christ dwells. So the apostle says to this trouble-ridden church in Corinth, examine yourself. Be honest with yourself. Which are you? Which are you? Driven by your flesh or walking in the spirit of Christ? You cannot be both. You cannot be both. Examine yourself for your fleshly lust threaten your soul. Oh, but this is, these, this is not uh, just a personal threat. These things are a threat to the whole church. Notice that the Apostle Paul does not write these things to a bunch of individuals. He writes these things to the church. For though not everyone was sinning, the church in Corinth had a certain fleshly, fleshliness about it, a certain fleshly culture about it, it, a worldly culture that thought like the fleshly world around it. First Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul wrote them, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. And even now, you're still of the flesh. While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? It was a problem in the whole church things are written in the same letter that exhorts us that the church is one body that if one member suffers the other members suffer fleshly lusts are a threat to the whole church this week I was reading in Reader's Digest the article on the destruction of the space shuttle Columbia and the flight director uh, Paul Hill summed up the tragedy he says I quote the most complicated machine we have ever built got knocked out of the sky by a pound and a half of foam. As I read this, I was reminded of how destructive uh, our fleshly lust can be. How much destruction can result from a seemingly insignificant little indulgence of the flesh. Indulgence of bitterness. Indulgence of sexual lust. How destructive it can be. Oh, but the accident report on that tra tragedy went on to probe more deeply than just the one piece of foam that hit the wing. And it, and it said, NASA has a broken safety culture. And I was reminded that whether we indulge our fleshly lusts or walk in the spirit has much to do with the corporate mentality of the church. The expectations and the accountability or lack of it in our church family. And I was reminded that when we indulge our lust, our fleshly lusts, the disaster is not private, not individual. The whole body is wounded. Lots of people suffer. Christ's name is dishonored. So this morning I set before you the challenge that Paul sets before the people at Corinth. Examine yourself. This fleshly lust, which is so common to us, which comes so easily to us, which holds up so quickly in us, this fleshly lust threatens the church as it threatens your own soul. Oh, but there's another sobering reason to examine ourselves, which is our second point. Because while fleshly lusts threaten the church, secondly, judgment threatens the fleshly ones. Judgment threatens the fleshly ones. The Apostle Paul began this passage 
fearful that he would not find these Corinthians to be as he wished they would be, for as we have seen, he was concerned that they were still fleshly. But he immediately goes on to say that they may not find him as they want him to be either. For though he speaks tenderly to them, even in this passage he speaks tenderly to them, frankly, he is coming to Corinth to confront their fleshly practices. As St. Chrysostom noted, what Paul had to say was softened by the manner in which he said it. But if we listen to what Paul had to say, Paul's words are rather pointed. Judgment threatens those who are fleshly. Paul is coming, prepared to chasten this church. In verse 1, he speaks of establishing things by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Folks, that's talk of judicial proceeding. That's talk of how, how we prove things to be true when we try something, when we put something on trial. Paul's talking about serious confrontation of this sin. Verse 2, he speaks of previous warnings, which he now repeats. I warned you before, I warn you again. This is getting serious. And what was his warning? That he would not spare those who sinned. In other words, judgment is threatening the fleshly ones. Now, the Apostle Paul certainly is not happy about that prospect. He does not delight in disciplining them. In verse 21, he says he finds it humiliating. And it grieves him to do this. Verse 7, he prays that they will do what is right, even if they think he's failed, that they will do what is right. And, and indeed, listen to verse 10. This is why I write these things when I'm absent, that when I come I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not, build, not tearing you down. It breaks Paul's heart to think of, of disciplining them. It breaks Paul's heart to think of calling them on the carpet and chastening them. But he also knows that it's necessary if they don't repent. Judgment threatens those who are fleshly. Paul explains here that they have misread his weakness. They were looking for leaders who were powerful and impressive, as as we've seen again and again. And they found Paul quite unacceptable because he was weak and unimpressive. But when they rejected Paul, they also rejected Paul's uh, gospel. When they rejected Paul, Christ's anointed apostle, they rejected Christ. So Paul reminds them, think about it. Jesus also appeared weak, didn't he? There he was being crucified on the cross in weakness. Was he really weak? Oh no. He rose in power, he lives in power. So don't be surprised when Christ's apostles look weak because they're identified with Christ. Does that mean that I'm weak, he says? No, I live in Christ's power. God has given me authority, Christ's authority. You don't want to learn how powerful Christ's apostle can be. And that's his threat. He will bring chastening on the fleshly ones. So what exactly does Paul threaten to do? What kind of discipline is he talking about? He doesn't really say in this passage. Perhaps he's observing that old parental rule of thumb. Don't ever tell the child exactly what you intend to do if he disobeys. You know the drill. It goes something like, Johnny, I hate to even think how bad your punishment's going to be. What does that mean? I don't know, but it sure sounds bad. Actually, that's not what's going on. Paul tells us, as we examine other passages, he tells us exactly what he has in mind. 
he, he certainly was threatening admonition and rebuke. We have uh, several passages where he, we read publicly rebuking someone for their sin. But ultimately, he was threatening excommunication. Removing someone from the fellowship of the church. And handing that person back to Satan to live under his tyranny and his domain. You say, well, well, he can't do that. Oh, yes, he can. That's exactly what he called for in 1 Corinthians 5. Hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful flesh may be destroyed. And that's what he reports doing in 1 Timothy 1.20. Some have rejected truth and a good conscience and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. The apostle's serious. Christ has given him authority to chasten the fleshly and remove them from Christ's church. And folks, the church which the apostles built still exercises that authority to this day. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells us to bring an unrepentant sinner to give an account to the church. And then Jesus says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That was Paul's earlier instruction to the church at Corinth. Expel the wicked man from among you. So well, I don't care if the church expels me. Oh, you better care. For Jesus says what is bound will be bound. What is loosed will be loosed. Christ exercises his authority through his apostles and now the church that the apostles built. Judgment threatens the fleshly ones. Not just eternal judgment on judgment day, but the discipline of Christ exercised through his church. To people, there's a dangerous attitude around these days. One which Paul would have found outrageous. People say, well, I know Jesus, and I have my Bible, and I will be the judge of what I believe and what it means. No one has the right to tell me what to do. I don't care what the church says. Oh, that can sound so spiritual. It can sound so loyal to the scriptures, but it is wrong. Christ gave real authority to his apostles and to his church, and every one of us must submit ourselves to the body in some way. Every member of the congregation must submit to the leaders who God has set over us. The leaders must be subject to one another and subject to the congregation. The pastor must be the, uh, under the authority of others. Folks, this American free-for-all religion is not biblical. I don't care how many Bible verses you hang on it. It is not biblical. It is our fleshliness at work, excusing ourselves. Thinking that we can have it both ways, that we can have the Spirit of God and also do whatever we please, and you cannot. You cannot. This morning the Spirit would tell us that judgment, discipline, chastening threatens the fleshly ones. 
And so we come to the Lord's table with these truths ringing in our ears. Fleshly lusts threaten the church. And judgment, discipline, chastening threatens the fleshly ones. So I call you to examine yourself. That's what the Apostle Paul said in our text, and that's what the Spirit calls for every time we come to the Lord's table. Let me just read it again from 1 Corinthians 11. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. How serious is that? Listen to this. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, that is, died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. That is, on judgment day. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father. We kid ourselves into thinking that our flesh is no big deal. We're told all the time by the world around us to indulge our flesh. To indulge all of these things. These fleshly human urges that rise up in our hearts. We're told that it's healthy to vent those things. To go with our heart do what we feel like doing. To not let anyone stand in our way. Lord, may we hear you this morning warning us to be careful, to look closely at our hearts, to examine ourselves, to hold the reins tightly, to not indulge these things that destroy us. Lord, may we hear your exhortation that judgment hangs over the heads of those who do. Eternal judgment. For such ones do not enter the kingdom. Or if you're merciful, the judgment of the church that would discipline us and call us to account lest we be condemned with the wicked. Oh Lord, help us as a church to live this out. It's not easy, we know. It's hard. And we're all frail creatures, and we all struggle with our own fleshliness. Lord, may there be a culture of godliness here at the chapel that does not indulge fleshliness, but holds one another accountable and encourages one another every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.